Good morning. Hey, you know, um, in the early church, uh, when one Christian would pass another, especially on Easter Sunday, one of them would, uh, going one way would say, he is risen, and the one coming the other would say, he is risen indeed. And uh, can we do that to start our Easter message? He is risen. And we're going to do that at the end of the message, too, just because it's Easter. If you have a Bible with you, I'd like you to turn... Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I forgot to dismiss the parents to take the kids to junior church. Oh, parents take the kids to junior church. Okay, so if you have a Bible with you, uh, turn to 1 Peter chapter 3, 18 through 22. 1 Peter chapter 3... Verses 18 through 22. And I believe that's up behind me on the screen. Am I correct? First Peter 3? Okay. Uh, we're going to do something just a little bit different today because I like to shake it up when it's Easter Sunday. We're going to stand and we're going to read this scripture together. Then we're going to pray. We're going to be praying with hundreds and thousands of Christians all over the world. They're doing the same thing we are. Maybe not the same passage, although I imagine there's many that will be doing that passage. But um, we're going to stand, we're going to read, we're going to pray, and then we'll be seated and get into God's Word. So would you stand with me, please? And 1 Peter 3, 18 through 22. Beginning together, for Christ died for sins once... Are you guys reading? Okay, let's try it one more time. Verse 18, for Christ died for sins once for all. Is this a different version? I have a solution. There, how's that? Okay, together. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this amazing passage that talks about the resurrection. And I pray that as we get into this passage, that you would um, drill down deep into our hearts as to what it means. Um, talk to us each, almost as if individually, about what we need to understand through this passage. It's not an easy one, but it is a necessary one. So just uh, speak to us, Lord, and minister to us, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I don't know if you can do it back there, Rob, but I'm preaching out of the New International Version. And I don't know what this is, but if you can flip to that, that would be great. And if you can't, plan B, okay? New International. But I think this is, is this the new? Which one is it? ESV. Okay, well, if we can't get that to NIV, then you'll have to be patient with me. It's all the same. It's just a 
a little bit different translation. You know, as, we, as I start this passage today, um, I think about the many areas where great victories have happened, stupendous, unexpected, unreal, unbelievable victories in different arenas of life. I think about the great victories in war, even just World War II, just that one segment of time. I was reading earlier this week about some of the great victories in World War II um, that, that, that we had. Great victories in politics. Dewey versus Truman, an unexpected victory. And great victories in sports. You always seem to have, in fact, didn't Gonzaga have a great victory last night? And um, I want to share a sports victory with you this morning. Um, some of you may or may not know this. It might be a little old for you, but I believe there was a movie made about it, so I'll, I'll share it with you. I was um, old enough to remember this. Uh, it was when the USA hockey team beat the Soviet Union in hockey, hockey in the 1980 Winter Olympics. Anybody remember that old enough to, have any of you seen the film of that? Yeah, or the movie that they made, which I don't know the title of, but. What is it? Miracle. Miracle, okay. Well, if you wanna just feel really patriotic, you want a real upper, you want something that makes you smile, go to the last two minutes of the 1980 USA versus the Soviet Union hockey match. Um, it became known as the Miracle on Ice. The Soviet Union had captured men's ice hockey gold in five of the six previous winter games. They were a powerhouse. Whereas Team USA had both the youngest team in the Olympic tournament and in national team history. <laughs> the showdown spawned an iconic call by Al Michaels. Anybody remember what that was? Do you believe in miracles? as the United States won a 4-3 decision. It also marked an upset at a time that the Cold War was still officially occurring and paved the way for a Team USA gold versus Finland. I invite you, if you want to just feel good about something, go to YouTube and play the last two minutes of this hockey game. At the end, they're jumping, they're screaming, they're yelling, they're hugging, they're crying. Their noses and ears and eyes are running. They're just all over the ice. They're just having a blast because they pulled off this just completely unprecedented victory. And yet, when you take all the sports victories and all the political victories and all of the wartime victories and you put them all together in all of history, they pale a shriveling comparison to the victory of the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead three days after he died on the cross for the sins of the world and was laid in the tomb. That is, hands down, the greatest victory in all of eternity, not just human history. Easter should be a thrilling time for us, and I'm not suggesting that we all jump around like hockey players and, and hug and all that stuff and, and run around screaming, but I am saying this. We ought to be stoked that we're here this morning worshiping a resurrected Jesus. I mean, think about it. We have a resurrected Jesus. Our founder, if you will, is resurrected. Do you know that every other founder of every other religion in the entire history of mankind is in their grave right now? Except for who? Jesus. We have a resurrected Jesus. It's awesome. So, so Easter should be really thrilling for us. It's not just about, you know, eating chocolate bunnies or chocolate Easter eggs, although I have no uh, problem with that. 
at all. I like chocolate bunnies and Easter eggs. And there's nothing wrong with hunting for Easter eggs. We'll do that afterwards with the kids. Um, it's not wrong to have family get-togethers and, and maybe some egg salad sandwiches this week, you know. Go to an Easter parade somewhere, I don't know. In fact, I was reading about a Sunday school teacher who asked her class to write one sentence each on what Easter means to me, and one pupil wrote, egg salad sandwiches for the next two weeks. <laughs> but Easter is so much more, it really is. It's, it's, it's my favorite holiday. It is. I love Easter, why? Have you seen any downside to this service yet? Have you seen anything negative? Easter, just, there's nothing negative about it, okay? It's just so positive, but not for most people, I would say, or at least it's not realized how positive it is for most people. I was listening to this radio show just this last week, and the radio host was interviewing this guy and they were talking about an event that was happening today. Had nothing to do with Easter. I don't even know what the event was, but they were talking about an event. And the guy, the radio host said, well, that's on Easter. And the guy said, oh, when's that? And the radio host that sun, said, that's Sunday. And the guy says, oh, I'm gonna have to paint a couple eggs. And I just, I, my head went to the radio and I went, that's Easter for this guy. That's the whole kit and caboodle, painting a couple eggs. And that's kind of par for the course for much of our world today. That's the extent of Easter. And that's a shame, because it's so much more. It's about victory. And we could talk a little bit about victory in our times today, could we not? We need some victory, we need some hope. And Easter gives it to us in spades. It's what, and it also, it's what makes Christianity credible. Without Easter, Christianity's just another world religion. Easter makes Christianity credible. And it gives us hope, not just for this life, but on, on the other side. And so today I want to use this passage that we read to talk about the total victory of the resurrection. That is, um, that's the title of the message today, the total victory of the resurrection. And uh, we're going to answer this question. Why is the resurrection of Christ the greatest victory of all? And I'm going to give you three answers. Why is the resurrection of Christ the greatest victory of all, three answers. Did we get to my version or not, Rob? We did not get to my version. Okay, well this is gonna be fun. But you're just gonna have to, we're gonna have to work together here. It's the same passage, just a little differently phrased. And I'm gonna go with my version, you stretch your mind to mine and use this, and I think we'll be okay. The first uh, reason that I think uh, the resurrection of Christ is the greatest victory of all, is that it provided for us as Christians a total victory over our sins. A completely total victory over our sins. You say, well, I thought the cross did that. I thought the that was what the cross is about, to give us victory over our sins. But I gotta tell you this, and I'm not trying to be um, sacrilegious or anything, but the cross doesn't matter unless it's followed up by the resurrection. The resurrection validates the cross. And I love saying that every Easter. The resurrection validates the cross. The, the resurrection makes the cross credible, believable, 
authentic, genuine. Without the resurrection, just another guy that died and said he was Messiah and got thrown into a tomb. But when you add the resurrection, look out. It takes care of sin in the eyes of God, our sin. I'm going to go through this and, 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 and talk about that. In my version, and I'm, 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 I haven't read that too much, but I think they're, they're kind of go hand in hand. It says, for Christ died for sin, or sins actually, plural. He died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit. I like little words. Little words have big meanings. And here, here it says, Christ died for sin. Who died for sin? Christ died for sin. I didn't die for your sin. You didn't die for my sin. Christ died for our sins. Who is Christ? The eternal, everlasting Son of God in human flesh. The perfect, sinless, eternal God in human flesh. God, the God-man, as theologians like to say. The God-man. Fully God became fully man, losing neither his deity or his humanity. And he died. And that word died there, and I gotta say this clearly, for Christ died for sins, is a real physical death. You know there are, there are people that label themselves as theologians that say uh, that Jesus didn't really die. He swooned. He fainted because of the overwhelming um, uh, damage done to him physically and probably emotionally as well. But it's that, you know what that word in the Greek means, that word died? It means died. <laughs> died, he died. Not appearance of death, but a real death. Not a fainting spell, but a real death. And, if we, and this is a whole sermon in itself, but if we took the time to talk about the beating and what flogging meant in that day and what it was like to have a spear shoved up under your ribs and into your side and into your heart and, and thorns that were not just these little thumbtacks but about inch or two or three long iron hard thorns deep into your skull and to have your hands and feet uh, impaled to a large piece of wood with all of your weight on it and the exposure in a damp almost airless tomb death is the only result. Now, we can't go there, but it says he died. And Jesus, the God-man, died for our sins. For our sins. And I know maybe I'm making a, a, a mountain out of a molehill, but I don't think I am, because if you look at that word sins, it's in the plural and not the singular. And when he says Christ died for sins, our sins, it means yours and mine and the whole world for all time, past, present, and future. And I say amen to that, okay? Because I have not stopped sinning. And I know that comes as a shock to many of you that know me. Good thing my wife's doing children's church right now, right? But even the ones that we haven't committed yet have already been covered by the atoning blood of Jesus. That's good news, okay? Because our biggest problem is not racial. Did you know that? 
Our biggest problem is not social. Our biggest problem is not economic or physical. Our biggest problem is sin. Between ourselves and God and between ourselves and each other. I was hearing somebody talk about race and how we need to deal with race. And you hear a lot of talk about that. But then I heard someone else say, it's not a skin problem. It's a sin problem. And I love that. There's nothing that can't handle racial problems, economic problems, social problems, or any other kind of problem when Jesus is in control. When we're blood-bought, cleansed, washed in the blood of the Lamb, children of God, and we know we're righteous in Christ, there's no social problem that can't be fixed. And it's great news. He died for all the sins of the world. And not just between people but does that cleansing heal, but it heals us between ourselves and God. Okay? Christ died for sins. We're not mad at God anymore, and God is not mad at us. We have been reconciled by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's why John says, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And then we go on to the next word, once for all. I love that. Okay? For Christ died for sins once for all. How many times? Once. Once for all, Jesus died for our sins. So no longer do we have the need for mankind to feel the need to pay for his sin. No need to slaughter animals at some altar. No need to buy religious relics. No need to spill our own blood. No need to work ourselves into God's favor by obeying as many of God's commandments as we can. It's a one-time thing. No more penance. No more crawling on glass, physically or metaphorically. In fact, I was reading about the fact that there's a ritual every year in the Philippines People have themselves nailed to crosses in hopes of atoning for their sins and hoping that God will answer their prayers for loved ones. And they stand there with these nails in their hands and feet hoping that God will come through for them. The desire to seek God is admirable, but we don't come to God through our own crucifixion. We come to God through his crucifixion. The crucifixion he did once for all. I love that verse in Hebrews chapter 10. In verse 14, by one sacrifice he's made perfect forever those who are being made holy. One sacrifice made us perfect forever in the eyes of God who are still in the process of becoming holy. And at number five, it says that the righteous, the perfect Jesus, died for the unrighteous. The righteous for the unrighteous. We're the unrighteous. Christ is the righteous. We're the ones with the sin and the sin nature. Christ is the one with perfection because he's a God. But then the perfect Jesus became our representative on the cross and became an atonement for our sins in our place, redeemed us, reclaimed us from sin and death, and made us alive with him. He broke sin's power over us by atoning for it and then placing himself inside of us that all the righteous requirements of the law are applied to us. Think about that. 
all the righteous requirements of the law are applied to you and me when we encounter Christ as our Lord and Savior. Pretty amazing. And it kind of gets specific here for the sixth one, to bring you to God. Verse 18, to bring you to God. Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. I love 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 19. I'll just quote a little bit of it. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting men's sins against them. Do you know that in the eyes of God, none of your sins, past, present, and future, will ever be counted against you because Christ already took them? Why do we have a total victory? Because of the resurrection. Because Christ atoned for our sin, and then he rose from the dead. And in rising from the dead, he brought us to God. Let me read it here. Through Christ's sacrifice on the cross, our sins have been fully and finally dealt with, and we've been reconciled to him. That was the purpose of the cross, to make atonement for our sins. But without the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, the claim that Jesus died and atoned for our sins would not be valid. But the resurrection validated the work of the cross. It guarantees the work of the cross to be totally credible, to take away our sin. And it, it's kind of uh, summarized here in the last statement in verse 18. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit. Three days after being placed in the tomb, Jesus rose bodily from the dead proving that his atonement for our sins was effective and valid. People can claim to be Messiah all they want, but until they rise bodily from the dead with no decay, like Jesus, they are false prophets and they can't help us. I was reading through the book of Acts not that long ago, and you know, you think you've, you've read a book and you know everything in it? And I was in Acts chapter 13, and in verses 30. 2 through 37, and I want you to look, I don't even know if it's in the version that's behind me, but it's in mine. The word decay, is the word decay in there? Is it in there? No, yes or no? Okay, it's the wrong version then, but anyway, my version says, let me read it to you, uh, Acts chapter 13, verses 32 through 37. We tell you the good news, what God promised our fathers, he has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus, as it is written in the second psalm. You are my son, today I've become your father. The fact that God raised him from the dead, never to decay, is stated in, what word would be there in this version? No, oh, corruption's fine. Never to decay is stated in these words. I will give you the holy and sure blessings promised to David. So it is stated elsewhere, you will not let your Holy One see decay. For when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his fathers and his body decayed. But the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay or corruption. Guess what happens when all of us die? We start to what? We start to decay. The capillaries, the blood vessels, the skin, the hair, the bones start to decay. Guess what didn't happen when Jesus laid in the tomb? He didn't decay. 
He lay there until he was resurrected in perfection. And so there you have it. The total victory of the resurrection is because Jesus performed a total victory over our sin. Once for all, complete atonement, validated by the resurrection. And that's why we can go out here with a spring in our step. Our Savior, our leader, our founder gave us a total victory over sin. Let's go to the second one. The resurrection gives us a total victory because it gives us a victory over sin, but it also gives us a victory over Satan. Or over, uh, yes, Satan. Uh, look at 19 and 20, verse 19 and 20, back in uh, 1 Peter. 1 Peter 3, 19 and 20. Through whom he, he was made alive by the Holy Spirit, through whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In all, only a few people, eight in all, were saved. Now, it says in verse 19 that after Jesus was raised from the dead and before he appeared to his disciples, we're told that he went and preached to the spirits in prison. Now, there are different ideas as to what this means. For example, some teach that Jesus descended into hell, it's even in their creeds, and preached a second chance salvation message to the demonic and unsaved underworld and to those who had rejected God and his Christ and needed another chance. But the Bible doesn't give second chances after death. Hebrews 9.27 says that it's appointed men to men once to die and after this the judgment. Another, others teach that some part of Jesus' sufferings for us required that he descend into hell. But when you look more closely, it doesn't say that. Let me take you there. When we look closely at the words preached and spirits, the whole, and the whole context of the Bible, the meaning becomes clear. The word preached more correctly means to announce or to pronounce or to declare or to proclaim or if you want an old-timeier word, herald something, okay? The word spirits represents the entire demonic realm. This includes those who caused problems in Noah's day and were chained in dungeons of darkness and all the others who had fallen out of heaven and caused trouble throughout history, all awaiting final judgment. And this, of course, includes Satan himself. And here's what happened. Satan and his entire demonic realm thought that they had won a great victory when Jesus died and was placed in the tomb. And on the third day, Jesus arose bodily from the grave and broke death's power. And then Jesus victoriously announced, proclaimed to the universe, Victory to Satan and to the entire demonic realm, all his minions, including those who disobeyed in Noah's time. He did this. He said in so many words, I am risen and I have broken the power of sin and death and you are defeated. One amen, please. Anybody? Can you hand me amen? Jesus declared his triumph. He announced, he proclaimed the Greek word says, triumph over all evil and the defeat of demonic powers in hell. I was talking to my wife yesterday or the day before, because she subs 
at the middle schools and the high school, and I haven't been in a high school since I left high school, and, uh, and I said, do they still do announcements? Do they still do those? At the beginning of the day, right? So like the principal or vice principal or maybe some student that's earned the honor, uh, you know, maybe they're, they're really smart or, or, or really industrious or, or talented, which may explain why I never was asked to give the announcements, but uh, they, they give the announcements, right? And, uh, and you can hear it through the whole school, right? Every room's got an intercom. And uh, at least that's the way I remember it. And uh, that's what happened. Jesus, throughout the whole universe, proclaimed, I am resurrected. Can you imagine what that was like? I am resurrected, and it caused the demonic realm to flee like cockroaches when the lights are turned on. That's why the, the resurrection is a total victory, because it gave us victory over our sin. It broke sin's power. It atoned for our sin and then validated that atonement by breaking sin's power, the guilt of it, the punishment for it, the power of it. And then it just broke Satan's power. Hebrews tells us, I'll be preaching on this in a few weeks, you don't have to fear death anymore. Satan just wants to riddle us with fear, the fear of death. You don't have to fear that anymore because Jesus broke Satan's ability to torture us with the fear of death. But now we have life in Christ, forgiveness and resurrection life, and uh, his power is broken. He announced to the whole demonic realm, and he, and he took away, through his atonement and resurrection, Satan's grounds of accusation against us. I love that. All the infractions of the law and of God's character that we have, are, or will commit were put on Jesus on the cross. And then when he rose from the dead, he defanged the enemy to have any really legitimate guilt against us because he took them all. And then we go to the third one. The third reason the resurrection of Jesus Christ was the greatest victory of all was because it was a victory over sin and Satan and a victory over the second death. And this relates to baptism, one of the reasons why I chose this passage for today. Thank you, Dylan, for stealing my fire. Where are you? Just kidding. He didn't know I picked this passage, I don't think. But, um, but let's look at this. Uh, verse, uh, let's see, 20 who disobeyed long ago, these are the demonic powers, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water, and this water symbolizes baptism. that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the God's right hand with the angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Okay, here it is. Noah's Ark and how it protected Noah's family from the floodwaters is given to us as a picture, a picture of the saving power of baptism. Not water baptism, which can't save us, but a picture of the saving power of spiritual baptism into Christ that we received at the moment of our salvation. Water baptism is an outward physical picture or symbol 
of the spiritual immersion, and by the way, the New Testament word baptism means to dip or emerge, immerse rather, that we experienced when we were saved. We're spiritually baptized into the spiritual body of Christ by the Holy Spirit, Titus 3, 5, and 6, not by works of righteousness. I know, realize this is probably way different up there, but not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Lord. Through our spiritual union or spiritual baptism, Christ came to live in us and to place us into him spiritually rebirthing and resurrecting us, giving us eternal life, and a good conscience toward God because now we stand righteous before him. Rescuing us from the second death, which is eternal spiritual death and separation from God forever. The reason that we're saved from the second death, that's eternity apart from God, separate from him forever, is given in 21 and 22 here. Christ rose into heaven at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. And the Bible clearly says that if Jesus rose and spiritually uh, we've been permanently baptized into him through faith, we're going to rise too. Wherever he goes, we go. He's got this thing for us. Wherever we go, he goes, we go. Okay? If he's risen, we rise. In fact, did you know you're already risen if you're a Christian? Already? You say, man, really? This is it? This is what I'm stuck with? No. But spiritually, you are risen. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3 tell us. We have already been risen with Christ. What's left? This. This, this body. That's all that's left. And we're risen with Christ. We'll get a new resurrection body. That's another Easter sermon. And uh, we'll be with him forever. But because Jesus rose and we were spiritually baptized into him, we rise too. I grew up in a really, really noisy place. Really noisy place. Stanwood was so weird to come to. It was so, you think it's quiet now. You should have been here in 86 when we got here. It was Definitely quiet. Because we, I grew up in Lansing, Michigan, a very industrial town, and then I moved to downtown Portland, or to Portland. And uh, very, very noisy. And I lived a couple miles from a big airport on one side of my house. There was a melling forging plant on the other side of my house. Do you know what a melling, a, a drop forge? You ever hear a drop forge? It's this big piece of metal, about this very big, drops on steel all night long. So I got the airport airplanes flying over. I got the drop forge over here, grew across the road from a junkyard. And it's a very industrial kind of gritty town and cops, you, it would be unusual if cops were two or three at a time flying past my home with their sirens blaring. I miss that. I really do. I, I don't know why. I just, when I heard that the other night somewhere, we were in downtown Everett or somewhere, I thought, wow, that's really cool. I miss that. But um, here's the, the noise that was probably the loudest. We also uh, lived uh, about 100 yards as a crow flies from a train yard. Do you ever hear trains coupling and decoupling? 
We used to climb through the trains on the way home from middle school, and that was not the right thing to do. I cautioned anything. Could have lost a limb easily. But you're immortal when you're 14, you know, or whatever I was. So anyway, all night long, especially in the summertime, 80, 85 degrees, about 90% humidity, you're lying in bed, and what do you hear all night long? Train cars crashing together. But I loved it. And you could, when those cars came together, they made a noise. And you cannot pull those apart. That's what I tell, I've told the story before, but I just like to tell it. But that's what happened to you when you got saved. You know that? When you got saved, you know the, all the angels in heaven cheered? I mentioned that the other week. And that, you and Jesus, boom, became one. Never to be separated again. And it was so glorious, all of heaven cheered. Okay? And at that moment, you were no longer ever going to be threatened by the second death. We don't have to fear physical death or the punishment of eternal death. Like they say, if we're born once physically, we'll die twice physically and spiritually. But if we're born twice physically and spiritually, we just die once physically. That's the gospel message. Christ died and rose from the dead to buy us back from sin, condemnation, and death and to give us a real radical hope now and for the future. Look at these last couple verses here. Verse 22, actually. Uh, well, I'll, I'll start at part of 21. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You are one with Christ in his resurrection, if you're a believer, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. That's where you are now. Look up Ephesians chapter 1. Okay? We have been risen with him, and our resurrection is soon to come, our eternal home. What a hope. Hope is in short supply right now, isn't it? And it's getting shorter and shorter and smaller and smaller. But our hope is getting bigger and bigger and bigger because we're that much closer to being with Jesus in heaven. And that's why um, the resurrection as a total victory over sin, over Satan, and over the second death. Now, here's the good part for us. Uh, well, part of the good part, and then we'll close it today. Until then, until then, we have the resurrected Christ living in our hearts, indwelling us through the person of the Holy Spirit. And what does, that, what does the Holy Spirit do? He strengthens us. He meets our needs to meet life's challenges along the way, to give us supernatural peace for our fears and anxieties. Nothing is too challenging for the resurrected life of Christ and the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. I don't know what your challenges are today. We all have them. But the resurrected life of Christ in us through the Holy Spirit is up to the challenge. And we have that till we go to be with the Lord. The world does not. And that's for you as a believer, to just trust in the Holy Spirit's power to get you through day by day as you face anxieties and trials and challenges. But maybe you're here this morning and you're not a Christian. 
Well, the Bible says that you need to become a Christian because on your own, you're unable to meet God's perfect standard of behavior for heaven. You and I are, you are unable to obey God's law. In fact, the more we try to obey God's laws, the more we see that we're incapable of obeying God's laws, and only a perfect person can get into heaven. And you can become perfect. You can become perfect today, believe it or not, in the eyes of God. Maybe not in your behavior while we're on this earth in this mortal flesh, but in the eyes of God, you can become perfect. Think about that. Such a deal. Oh, but, but you need to repent. It's an old-time word, but it means to turn away from your sin and yourself. and Not perfection, but a change of attitude. Place your faith in Jesus Christ as the one who made a perfect atonement for your sins on the cross and then broke death's power by rising from the dead. Place your faith in him. Ask him for the forgiveness of your sins made for you on the cross and then receive him as your Lord and Savior so you can experience true salvation. And I want to just challenge you if you're a, like a you're here because you know a relative or have a friend, and, and that's great. I'm glad you're here. We're all glad that you're here. But please give it serious thought. You don't want to deal with a second death, but you don't have to. Please give it serious thought about turning your life over to Jesus Christ because it will dictate your destination forever and the quality of life that you have remaining on this earth. Maybe when you get alone today somewhere, if you pray a prayer like this with sincerity in your heart to the Lord, you'll avoid that second death and you'll have life and hope until the end of your days on earth. Something like, Lord Jesus, for too long I've kept you out of my life. I admit I'm, I'm a sinner. I can't save myself, but I've been pushing you away. I repent of my sins by changing my mind about the way I've been living I don't want to be a spiritual loser anymore. No, lo no longer will I close the door when I hear you knocking. By faith, I gratefully receive your gift of salvation. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming to earth. With all my heart, I believe you are the Son of God who died on the cross for my sins and rose from the dead on the third day. Thank you for bearing my sins and giving me e the gift of eternal life. I believe your words are true. I accept you into my heart. Be my Savior and Lord. I surrender to your leadership, your lordship, your rulership, your control in my life. Make me into the person you want me to be. Amen. And if you, if you pray in that vein with a, with a true heart to the Lord, in the quietness of your own spirit to, to God, you will enter into that company of people that are awaiting resurrection forever and ever. Well, as I said at the beginning of the message, uh, we're gonna say what they said at the early church and be dismissed. I was asked to announce that there is an Easter egg hunt. Right now, happening right after the service. I don't know where they're supposed to go, but they're all pointing that way. So take your children and have fun, but we're going to stand and we're going to say what they said in the early church today. Father, thank you for
for giving us total victory over sin, over Satan, and over the second death. Thank you for the meaning of Easter and the resurrection of Jesus that rescued us from eternal separation from you and gives us hope today for that day to come soon. In Jesus' name we pray. He is risen. He is risen indeed. You're dismissed. <laughs>